0: Good morning. As you guys know, we're going through a sermon series uh, entitled Life Together as uh, Life Together in Community. This series focuses on Acts 2, 42 through and Each one of the members has been bringing uh, a particular second. Uh, last week, Dave kicked us off. That was all with the intro. I thought it was a spectacular job and I don't know how you introduce the passage without stealing a lot of the things yeah, in the passage, but uh, they did a real good job of getting through that. And if you guys can just get through the day, it's all downhill from there. You'll right. <laughs> Don't get the good elders Uh Aaron's gonna Aaron's gonna speak to us and Bruce gonna speak to us and then we're gonna bring in the cleanup here and before we wrap it up and get done. This week we're gonna look at Acts two verse forty two. And we're digging into, uh, a little bit into the key practices of the early church. So as an introduction to our uh, passage, I wanted to uh, go back to the beginning of the uh, first part of Acts and kind of let you know, kind of remind you where we're at. Uh, uh, we're at Pentecost. If you look at the first part of Acts to, are the day of Pentecost, there's uh, the a large number of people to that to celebrate. The me old spirit provide a miracle again. Allowing this yeah. diverse group of people to hear the message. People are kind of questioning what's happening, yeah. and Peter launches yeah, into I a it as he's explaining what's going on. And I kind of to pick up there and get us started. If you look at verse 17, I'm going to read a little bit there and kind of walk through, uh, walk through the following passage. So look there with me in verse 17 of Acts 2. And it says, that In the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all bread, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus. Delivered up the work of the death of the plan and poor knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held up by it. Let's get down 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all were witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That is 36. Let all of the house of Israel, therefore, know, for certain, that God has made them both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Verse 7. Brothers, they asked, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, you want to say. You just sang. Those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day, about uh, 3,000 souls. So that's where we are. That brings us to the passage today in 42. 3,000 folks, 3,000 newly born-again Christians were saved. That's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. Don't we sometimes get it wrong in our churches today? It's all focused on just getting saved. But it's one that. What happens after that? We're going to spend some time looking there today. Luke writes this, what was the next thing that Luke says, that Luke tells us? That what was the next thing that happened? What was the focus? Uh, what are many key principles there for us? Do those principles apply to us and Chris fellowship? So what I'm going to do is outline five principles in this verse. that read this in the early church. And in the outline, it's going to be your verse. So let's read that verse, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, that'll be your outline. So you'll have it right there in front. You don't have to write a note down. You know exactly what it is. So what, what happened first? They devoted themselves. Devoted. These new believers were devoted. When you think of the word devoted, what do you think of? Uh, devoted sports fans. Uh, devoted to political parties, ideology, causes. Maybe you're devoted to the car. What about a dog being devoted to his master? Or maybe in today's world, the other way around, the master being devoted to a dog. Probably some of the better examples are a husband or a wife being devoted to their spouse, a mother lovingly being devoted to her children, or a father being devoted to his family. Webster defines devotion as the act or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal to something. You get the picture of the attitude of these believers. They're dedicated. They're loyal. They're faithful. In the NASB, NASB and in the uh, uh, King Jane, New King James, it says they were continually devoted. They weren't devoted for a moment, they were continually devoted. It was an ongoing process. So you kind of get the picture. They're continually devoted. They continually devoted what? themselves. So who were they? Look back at the first part of Acts chapter 2. I mentioned that there was some diversity. Look in uh, verse 5. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. These are not just uh, people that were kind of occasional attenders. These were devout Jewish people. They were from every nation under heaven. (laughs) verse 6. They all spoke their own language. I referred to that. Look at the nine. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, Mesopotamians, both from Judea, Pabalesea, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Hathalia, Egypt, other parts of Libya, along with Cyrene, visitors from Rome. There were both Jews and proselytes, those that were Jews by birth and those that have been converted, Cretans and Arabians. Uh, there's some overlap in here, but there's at least 15 different regions of the, of the country or cultures to be dealt with there. There's a lot of diversity here. Drastically different people. Drastically different people. We didn't even mention other differences that definitely would have existed there. Differences like we have here in Grace. How about the different personalities existed among these people. Social and economic positions. Race, religious backgrounds. Think about converts, different backgrounds. A community by definition is a group of individuals. A group of very different people. And they devoted all of those differences to what? To what's about to follow? They incorporated, they came together. These 3,000 that were converted came together and they continually dedicated, continually were loyal, continually were faithful to do some very specific things. What we're we'll going to do is walk through those very specific things. Before I get started on that, I want to take one title. Anytime we get to a passage of scripture where there's some things that we to do, there's a to do list the things that we're Don't you get the impression that that's the means by which you come here? I have to throw that out there because it's very easy to get drawn into that when you're looking to do do this. They didn't devote themselves to any of these particular activities because they thought it was going to give them something. They devoted them because they were saved, not the other way around. But these items that we're discussing are evidence of their salvation. They're not means about what they were saying. Just want to throw that sidebar in there because it's, it's unproductive to continue to refer back to that, but we'll make sure that we've got that. So what were they devoting themselves to? Uh, you've got your outline in front of you. You see what the first thing is there? They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. You know, the teaching of the Apostles was inspired. Sometimes when I read the scripture, I don't think about that because I don't comprehend at the time they had the themselves to the apostles' teaching. Them. That's what I reading is the apostles' teaching. It's really easy to say the word's the inspired word of God, but we recognize that what the apostles were teaching them was inspired the Holy Spirit had inspired them. John 14, 25 through 26 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am preached, this is to speaking to the disciples. Right? But the help of the Holy Spirit from the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The teaching of the apostles was based on their experience as eyewitnesses to the life of Christ. They got to hear firsthand from Christ. They got to see firsthand from Christ. You know, many times in the life of the disciples, they failed to understand and comprehend Christ at that time. But yet, we have the Word of God here because. And these 3,000 were getting the apostles' teaching at that time. They shared with these 3,000 the Holy Spirit inspired words of Christ. Matthew 28, 19. I'm going to you guys with the says, to do it. The Christ made us a great mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son of Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and to hold on with you always to the end of the day. So, what is a disciple? One who is taught or trained to be like teach teacher. That's what was going on here, wasn't it? The disciples were teaching and training the three thousand. What have the disciples of Christ been taught or and commanded to do? I just read to make disciples. How will they do that? Teach them. Teach them all things that Christ had commanded. That's what was going on. That was one of the, that's the first principle here that is noted is these people devoted themselves to that area teaching, to the apostles' teaching. These were infant Christians and they needed teaching. We're not an exceptional. Don't we need teaching? Whether infants or not, don't we need teaching? A true commitment to Christ should be followed by a commitment to hearing, reading, studying, and learning His word, this gives this accomplishment several things. First, it gives honor to God. Secondly, it provides an internal and external evidence of our faith.
1: In John fifteen,
0: it says that a true, the true branch abides in the mind. Are you abiding? My abiding. Devoted themselves. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? John chapter one says, "If you, uh, Christ said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. It's evidence of faith. It's proof of your faith. You continue." That's kind of the internal side of things. Think about the external. Continuing Christ as a means of sanctification. If we don't study the truth, how do we know what truth is? If we don't study the truth, how do we know when we're in character? Aren't we inundated daily with the world telling us what's truth and what's not truth? If we don't stay anchored to what the truth really is, then we have an opportunity to rob on the temple? If we don't teach the truth, how are others going to know what the truth is? If we're not students of the truth, how are we going to know If we learn the truth and abide in it, aren't we changed? Outwardly, aren't we changed? Externally, aren't we different? If our goal is to make disciples, and our goal is to be disciples as community believers, then shouldn't we all be teachers? Shouldn't we all be students at some point? Think about it. Christ taught the disciples. The disciples taught. Christ taught more than disciples. He taught the disciples and others. Christ taught. The disciples taught 120. Disciples were being taught. The teaching the 3,000. Going down the road. Paul taught like Timothy. Paul taught like Timothy teach others. Y'all see the picture? It's the picture of scripture, devote yourself to the teachings of the apostles. How can we fulfill the great commission if we don't abide in the word of God right These new believers devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. The Greek word translated fellowship here means to be a sharer, a companion, one who is a partaker, a participant in community with others. You know these folks had mutual affection for one another, mutual conversation with one another, and were are all together. Down in verse 46, it says that day by day, day they attended the temple together. What's the impact of those who spend most time with? Don't you become like Think about it. You invest a lot of time with someone. You guys, all familiar with husbands and wives that probably like one another. Uh, children mimic their parents. Just, it's just what happened because they spend someone's time You probably think about it, people that you work with or people that you spend a great deal of time with outside of the family. You mimic them in some degree, some way, shape or form. you had a close friend and you picked up traits from them over time?
1: You know it's true.
0: You know, even as kids, we were told by our parents, choose your friends carefully. Well, it's not as smart then, but it's smarter as we go. Don't hang with the wrong crowd. We're impacted by those who we choose to spend time with. It's true as children, and it's true as adults. And so we're impacted by those we spend time with right now today. We spend time with those about the things of Christ, or you spend your time elsewhere, I spend my time. But the Word Fellowship revolves more around more than just being together, just spending time with others. It's more than being a companion, it's more than spending time with others, it's more than being a participant, it's more than hanging out. It means sharing in the lives of other believers, sharing in their lives. Paul in Romans 12, walking through the hearts of a true Christians, says verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Give this to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 8 says, He loves his neighbor as fulfilled the law. Galatians 5, 13, and 14. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Very familiar verses to all of you. That were probably finishing in your head as I was reading them. But they all pointed to serving one another. Sharing lives with one another as a part of communion. We are to place them above us. We are to love them. We are to honor them. We are to serve them. That's another key element of fellowship. But it means more than just being together. It means more than just serving one another and sharing our lives together. It means pushing one another toward righteousness and obedience. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as at the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you sit today drawing near. We are to push one another as reputed believers toward righteousness toward obedience. We are to encourage one another. I know that's delicate, and that's probably a sermon for another time on how to do that. But I can sum it up for you and make it really easy for all the letters. We do it with love. If we're pushing one another toward obedience, if we're encouraging one another, if we're doing it out of love, we're probably not going to go wrong. And if we do, we're going to figure out. It it's about the other person, not about us. So our fellowship is more than being together. It's more than loving and serving one another. It's more than pushing one another to righteousness and obedience. This is probably the most important part. Fellowshiping together as we fellowship with Christ. 1 John 1 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, of Jesus Christ. Did you, you catch that? What we do here is fellowship with one another, and there's all those elements of how we interact with one another, but we fellowship as a group with Christ. The best part of fellowship with other leaders is our mutual enjoyment of Christ. Remember how different these 3,000 were, we had different nations, different languages, different Church, and I can actually look out well, and see it right? I can. I can look out and see the relationships that exist. It's amazing to me that I think those relationships would never exist if it were not for Christ. Those two people would not be hanging out together if it were not for Christ. If your Christianity amounts just to sliding in your own sunny mornings, sliding out, and that's kind of the limit of your fellowship, and you're really kind of missing? the point. let me give you a sense of urgency. You might not have heard, it, but I read Hebrews 10 and 5. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day coming, You think Jesus is coming pretty soon? You think the day is approaching? So Jesus is coming, the day is approaching, so let's just get together once in a while. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It was paramount to them that this community existed. If you're not engaged in regular fellowship with other believers, ask yourself what's stopping you. These are self-indicted, just so you'll know. It's really easy to look at the guy behind the pulpit and say, what well, are preaching? He's also going back to himself. Don't let your TV put a hypnotic smell glue into it. I think I realize TV not. Don't let the condition of your home, better known as pride, be the reason that you don't have somebody over. We're not ready for Don't let any other activity destroy your opportunity to experience the fellowship and the Spirit of God that will be there in two or three of the afternoon. Regular fellowship was another evidence of early churches' new life in Christ. It was the desire of these new believers to be together with each other, along with devoting themselves to the teaching, along with devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, along with devoting themselves to the fellowship, They also devote themselves to breaking bread. Now, breaking the bread uh, has a couple of different meanings and can mean regular meals only. But I think here in this passage it's specifically referred to the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder that comes after me. There's some other reasons there, but at the very least it was the Lord's Supper experienced after uh, regular meals. And at the close of a common meal, what they would do is they would pause to remember the Lord's Supper as the disciples had been taught. And bread and wine were a common fare at the Jewish table. And at the end of the meal, they would take a the, the specialist observance of the with bread and wine and focus on the Lord's Supper just like we might. Just like we might do here. The difference being we're not necessarily going to after every meal. They celebrated the memorial of their master's death burial, and resurrection. I'm going to ask you to turn 1 Corinthians 11 to 24. 24. I'm doing this on purpose because this is a passage we all can refer to when we're doing the birth of the Lord's And the things I want you to pick out here, the keys I want you to pick out here is why why the Lord's suffering why we observe it, why these believers were it. In 24, it says when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is a new cup in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now watch closely. And as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Remember me, you're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. Who said, therefore eats the bread drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread drink the cup. For anyone who eats, eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So you saw it there. These new believers, they didn't have this passage. They didn't have the writing. They had the law. But can't you just see the apostles telling them what happened? And Christ telling them this. He said, it's a sermon to the eye if you think about what the word sermon is. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember who you are in me. Remember what I've brought you from. Proclaim. Death. Proclaim his burial. Proclaim his resurrection. Examine yourself. Remember the condition. <coughs> Where are you at right now? Are we acting like Christians? Are we behaving like Christians? Are we behaving like, we behaving like disciples of Christ? And it's a symbol, it's a symbol of our fellowship. You're going to Brown. That wasn't in that past Well, think about it. You've got this diverse group of people that have come together on a regular basis. They devoted themselves. continually devoted themselves on a regular basis. At what point does all of this diversity come together? Christ. Isn't that a picture of what the Lord's Supper was saying? Christ is the sinner. Remember me. Remember what I did. I came, I died for you. Remember, that's why you're all here. Yeah. That's what you're unified for. Yeah. The cross is that which brought peace, which reconciles us to God. The cross reconciles us to each other. New believers were devoted to breaking bread. Every time that they ate, every time that we ate, and celebrate communion. We acknowledge what Christ did. He purchases with His death. We are in Him. All of us are in Him, unified in Him. Our fellowship, this fellowship, we're together right here today because of Him. They devote themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Lastly, they devote themselves to the prayers. This fourth principle of facts in the early church was prayer. This was a praying church. These Christians were trained in the discipline of prayer. Why? Why should we pray? Why should we pray individually? Why should we pray corporate? Now, there's probably more than one sermon in why should pray? But I want you to think through just a few really paramount reasons. One, Jesus Christ was perfect. He prayed all the time. How many times did he separate himself and go pray in the garden? How many times did he pray publicly in front of others? He set the pattern for the disciples. The disciples saw it. They recognized the need for prayer. You know, the disciples did the same thing for the 120, for the 3,000. Uh, In Acts 1, 14, just a little bit, uh, further back up. When uh, they were in upper room and they were getting ready to replace Judas, uh, they prayed. And it says, all these with one accord, devoted themselves to prayer. All these in unity devoted themselves to prayer. The disciples set a pattern for those who followed them. Christ set a pattern. And here's the more important reason. Matthew 21, 13 says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And he was cleansing the temple. He was driving out those who were buying and selling. His response to that was, This house should be a house of prayer. So not only was Jesus a man of prayer, not only did he train his disciples, not only did the disciples train those who followed them, Jesus said, This temple should be a house of prayer. So we're going to be afraid praying church because of those reasons. Any other reasons? Now keep in so mind this is not okay? Prayer is powerful. Think about it. Uh, in Matthew 21, uh, Christ was uh, walking along and he saw a fig tree by the wayside and, and went to it and there was nothing on it, just leaving no fruit. And he said to it, May no fruit come you ever come to you again? And the fig tree withered at once. The disciples saw this. They saw the power that was within Christ. What he could do. And down we toward the end of that passage in verse 22. Well, 21 says, they said, how did the fig tree wither? And He said, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only really do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say this mountain, you take it up from in the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The disciples have witnessed something miraculous. Jesus said, The victory will not produce fruit, and it will did and die in the Strong, powerful words. And I know that anytime you hear a verse like that, We have a tendency to worry about, okay, we're about to head down the name and claim road. And believe me, I honestly have some of those same fears when I hear this kind of word. But I want you guys to do that. Don't let the fear of that compromise your understanding of what the power of prayer is. Because if you run too hard from name and claim, you invalidate what this verse says. That verse says, whatever you ask in prayer, receive if you have faith. Now, I know there's more qualifications to that. But look at what it says. If you have faith, whatever you ask will happen. John 14, 13, 14, Christ says in another situation that anything you ask in my name on One commentator i our head said that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. That's powerful when you think about it. You know, mentally, we check out and we don't recognize that. You ever show a change of prayers? You ever, I'm not going to pray that. I understand. Prayer needs to be vague and understanding who Christ is. I understand that. But you ever find yourself not praying for something? It's just you just don't think that'll happen. Good things. I'm not talking about good for all. Good things. when's the last time you beg about something? That's the external. External benefit of prayer. It's like an internal benefit of prayer. Philippians 4, verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Here's the internal part. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? The peace of God that passes all understanding, we're all through with that part, will guard your hearts and your minds. Ever been there? Calamity all around you, your foundations are shaken, the world seems to be coming apart. Don't really know where you're going to turn. And then, prayer supplies that peace You have an ideal will how to happen, even though it's told that it happens that way. And it guards your heart and your mind. Isn't that really the biggest problem we've got when clamor comes our way? I mean, we know the claim itself is a problem, but isn't that part of it that our mind shoots off, our emotion shoots off? And we kind of forget. Don't we need it? Don't you want your mind to be guarded? Prayer guards your mind, guards your heart, guards your emotions. So there's external benefits and internal benefits. I know there's more to it than that, but don't lose sight of those. Corporate prayers are viewed as an essential part of the spiritual growth of the church. You know, great things happen when. When you pray, and especially when you pray to God. Ever been in a situation where you just knew there was a group of folks praying for you? Thanks for the word. Isn't it be interesting that uh, a group of folks are prayer is answer what celebration you have, the that, that community of believers that you fight in Christ? And that community of leaders is praying for a kid or something? God chooses to answer that prayer in the manner in which it's prayed. What a celebration it was for be Celebrating Christ and God the power of the people. The power, that omnipotent power that was touched by that unheard prayer. You know you, internally, also you know the prayer gives you a better understanding of who Christ is. You know, when you pray for something, you pray for something, you pray for something, and it never comes around, and then at some point in time, you figure out why oh, it doesn't come around. Isn't that? that? Overwhelming. Unanswered prayer. We're made more like Christ when we understand what Christ is doing in our lives. The church, as a body, is edifying the good of But most important, God's the good of Prayer definition recognize our dependence on God? Isn't that what it really is? Aren't you really saying, God, you're all powerful and I'm submitting to you? You're the one that can change this. I can't. You're the one that can change this. We can't. You know, people say, how do you get to be the right kind of church? How do you get to have the right testimony, the real testimony to the world? You know, it starts with a commitment on our parts individually. Isn't that what you saw here? These people came to Christ individually, even though it happened all at once. And then they became a community of believers. Before they came to Christ, they were from all those countries. They spoke all those languages. They had all those differences. They didn't have a whole lot in common. After they came to Christ, they had a lot. Of so the first step in this process was obviously they came to Christ. Then, as we walk through it, they devoted themselves. They devoted their individuality. They devoted themselves to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Are you studying the Word regularly? This uh, I know for me, if I don't spend a regular amount of time on the commission, you know, and I come in here and I haven't been the Scripture all week long, I'm not the same. It's no wonder I leave and go, well, this is a tricky job. He sure didn't engage with me. I didn't come prepared for it. I I didn't come with a heart that had already been affected throughout the week. Is that a picture of your life? You know, I think we all have those times where we fall backwards, but has it been weeks? Has it been months since you've studied? The word of God, since you've been devoted, continually faithful to studying the Word of God? Are you involved in fellowship? Not friendship, fellowship. You sharing the lives of others. You know, Grace Fellowship is a caring church. It is unbelievable to me how a need arises and this church body just needs it. It's just dumb. Whatever it is. someone needs money, money comes together. someone needs something done with their house, the house is done. someone needs some kind of care, it happens. This is a care of the church. But do you really invest in the lives of those that you're in community I'm not trying to downgrade what we do by donating money for someone who is in financial before. But that's not investing in that individual's life. That's giving you some money. So, are you invested in people in your community? This community of yours? Do you share in their lives? Do you allow them to share in yours? Well, that's a big deal too, right? I know it's a big deal to ask somebody that's a common thing. No one asks me to do this or no one asks me to do that. So I think the first step is ask others. But then allow yourself to be transparent. i shit. Fellowship. I have a friend of mine, who's uh, a close friend now, but when I first met him, he was a work associate. And I didn't know about Bill. And he asked me he was, how, 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 to his house, and I probably was disappointed. It was amazing to me. I, we, I went to meet with him because we identified that we were both Christians, and so we spent hours talking about stuff that I just couldn't believe we were having that level of conversation. We were talking about family, uh, spousal uh, relationships, and relationships with children, stuff that you just don't talk to someone that you don't know that way. all was a those who are unified in Christ. Now I know this sermon is about our community and the community of believers, but he is in the community of believers. It just amazing to me how there was that instant unification, that instant ability to forecast. So fellowship with others and allow others to fellowship with you. When you share the Lord's supper corporately, and I know anything we do Can become religious by nature. We are human. We get in the habit. You can get in the habit of prayer. You can get in the habit of reading the Bible. You get in the habit of walking up here and taking the Lord's Supper. You get in the habit of coming to church by anything we do, if we let it. But do you think about those key elements of that passage that you read and what the Lord's Supper is about? What the disciples heard? Do this in remembrance of me. Death, burial, resurrection. I'm your savior. You think about that when you take the bridge. Do we examine ourselves? It's a sermon to the eye. It's more than that, but it's a sermon to the eye. Lastly, are you faithful in praying together, believers? When we pray corporately here, um, this thing is not supposed to be a call in professional time, sometimes it's easy to kind of check out. You know. God's just rambling on there Do you, know. you pray corporately together. You pray along with what's being prayed for. We're praying for so-and-so. We're praying for this They pray that the sermon would be a good sermon. Are we praying along with that? Or are we lost thinking about something else? It's the nerve that touches omnipotence. Pray to do it. When was the last time someone had an issue with needed prayer? Mentioned it to you. I'm good of this. And they're bold enough to say we need to pray for something. I pray right now. The that's, uh, that happens tomorrow. Uh, in the morning, between six and six fifteen. How about right now? Let's pray together. Picture in your mind, there's more to come, God. I'm just doing verse 42. There's more to come. But picture in your mind a church that devotes themselves to just these four things. What do you think that looks like? What do you think is the end result of a church that's devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, to fellowship, that's devoted to recognizing and understanding and experiencing the Lord's Supper, other than saving the other Jews, that's devoted to praying together, recognizing the power of what prayer in the midst? What do you think those results are? Astounding. I really. I read the sermon. I study the sermon. I'm standing here preaching the sermon. I don't think I really comprehend what a church like that would do. But just so. Just so. Scary. How could that community of believers not become more Christ like? How glorified you know, the Father follow the back of your views. Continually vote yourself.